that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you have any questions you would like for us to answer, leave comments in the description. Nope, not in the description. <laughs>
and something that people have mentioned is supporting uh, Black-owned businesses. So I think in this way of us being theater artists, this is an episode where we're going to focus on um, diverse and especially Black theater artists, playwrights, because it is extremely important that their voices are heard. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, theater, as we know right now, is very white very true i think i saw an article from a place i think it was playbill.com that said even just last year in 2019 90% of plays that were produced or, or, or came out were from white writers yeah and i think that's crazy to me because there are so many voices and so many playwrights and theater artists that have voices that need to be told that aren't just white people. Or it's not white people telling black stories. Right. Yeah, I've heard this lack of representation problem uh, pointed out to institutions before, and sometimes there's this response of, oh, I didn't even notice that. I don't, we don't see color. And I feel like (laughs) that's such a big part of the problem. Yeah, that is the big problem, is when people say things like, I don't see color. And if you don't, you're going to miss when that lack of representation is, is there. It's also just a lie. like Right. Yeah, unless you were literally blind. Like, yeah. I definitely agree with what you said, Andy, about um, that black people would need and, and appreciate hearing stories, not just about them, but, but written by them. I definitely feel the same way as a woman. Um, I have spent a lot of time prioritizing female playwrights because I, I do feel strongly that a story about women is is best served by a woman. Um, and, and not that I, I would ever look to a man and, and think, you know, that has a, a female lead in his show or a, or a majority female cast. I would be like, that's awesome. That play should get produced too. That's great. But um, there is definitely something to be said about about the understanding and living in that perspective. Yeah, and a way that I would kind of like to see it um, is if we kind of took an approach like a chorus line where it was just the writers in a room with people uh, who were part of chorus lines and had to go through all the things all the characters did And they were just listening to those stories, having conversations, and then they took it and made a show out of it. And I I think that they can definitely do that with other groups of people, and they could just sit, listen, share stories, and take that and make theater. And I think that is a valuable tool that is underutilized. That brings up a really good topic of like docudrama because I know that's for the past decade or so like that's really been on the the rise there's like civilians theater company that they specialize in that of course probably one of the most famous um docudrama pieces is the Laramie Project and a show that's more relevant to us right now is um is a play Fires in the Mirror and I just by Anna Devere Smith and that is 
of course, Anna Devere Smith is an African-American woman, and it tells the perspectives of an incident that happened in New York City that affected both the African-American and Jewish population. And um, as I was struggling to find this title, um, Keaton was mentioning some more work by Anna Devere Smith. Yeah, I um, heard about her when I was an undergrad um, uh, from, I believe, a classmate who was reading a book of hers. Uh, and then I got the chance to see Notes from the Field uh, at American Repertory Theater, which is a, another solo piece by Anna Devere Smith um, about the school-to-prison pipeline in this country. Uh, and she looked at it from uh, so many different perspectives, um, from indigenous folks, uh, black Americans, and... Um, that piece engaged the audience in this really what I experienced as a very um, broad, holistic um, conversation about about the issues. I'd never seen anything like it before. Yeah, and going deeper than just uh, playwrights and getting those stories, it's also just in casting in general in my opinion because there are a lot of shows that i feel don't necessarily need any specific race tied to them but so heavily in the past have also been tied to specific actors and i think we need to get out of that notion as well um a big example i'm gonna put my sister on the spot uh a couple years ago, she did a production of The Sound of Music, and she ended up getting cast as Liesl. Um, and she's a black woman, and that was a choice that the theater made um, to do colorblind casting, and the whole Von Trapp family was completely colorblind casted, which I think was a very big statement, and also just like a refresher that it's not oh, I am trapped in these typed, typecast roles and I can diversify um, just my field of work and it's not just the same roles over and over again. I'm really glad you brought that point up because that's when it comes to race and casting, it's something that I've definitely thought a lot about and, and listened to a lot of people about and I 100% agree. And that's also something, when it comes into theater, it's like, we're just pretending on a stage. No one actually thinks that's the Lion King or, you know, that Elsa's building a castle right now. So what, why does it, like, because I've also heard situations where it's like, okay, this play has, um, um, like, two white parents and then they have a black kid. Who cares? No, but it's just a play. I... It, it's not going to take me out. You're suspending your disbelief anyway. So why should it make any difference to not just cast the very best person for that role? I'm glad you brought up Frozen because right before coronavirus happened and also the the show closed, Cynthia Renee was the replacement Elsa for uh, Cassie Levi. She herself is a woman of color and her her, her sister Anna was cast as a white woman, and it was just the two best people fit the roles, and that's how they were cast. Exactly. Casting needs to be done as, you know, out of your casting pool, who is the best 
for that role. And I, I understand that ethnicity or, or some other visual appearance might play in a director's choice in terms of a story they want to tell. Um, but those are usually very specific stories and usually that is a sacrifice made for a greater statement that the play is, is giving for that purpose. But I'd say the vast majority of the time, I would agree that colorblind ca casting is perfectly acceptable. There's nothing wrong with it. And it, it's just giving the roles to the people with the talent that fit the roles. And I think too, with, uh, I had a professor, a directing professor who changed the term colorblind ca casting to color conscious ca casting. And I'm not sure, uh, my whole opinion on it is just like, who cares? Just, yeah. just Here's like, the who thing. cares? Why is it, why can't it just be called casting? Because the, yeah. the yeah, whole point exactly. of casting is to assign someone to a role. That's all you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's, we already have, sh whatever realism, you're, you already know you're not in that person's living room. So just who cares? And there's also the argument of, well, they can play this role, why can't I play? Just, no, just stop right there because you are not taking away the role, a role from anybody. So I think that's also really important too, is that there, there is a history of um, systemic racism everywhere and it, it very much has affected like what roles people can get. Um, so, so a white person has never been denied a role because of their race. And right now there aren't a lot of roles specifically written for, for uh, people of color either. So people, white people just have to be willing to take a step back. This conversation is making me think about um, a story that was mentioned on the Beyond Drama, which is a, a weekly program on our Triad Stage Facebook page on Sundays. Um, and our producing artistic director has um, guests that come through and they talk about the theater's values. Well, a few weeks ago, our learning director, Danny Kyle, was there, um, and they, uh, Danny and uh, Preston, talked about uh, our school matinees of uh, A Christmas Carol, um, and how there was a friend of the theater uh, who brought his class um, to see this show, uh, and a lot of them had never seen a play before. And uh, the friend of the theater, who's a teacher, he recounted... Um, having students say to him that they didn't know that people that looked like them acted in theater. And yeah. I think that's something truly, truly sad. Because it, it's been said so many times, but representation really does matter. And especially for young audiences, like they need that representation so they even have the chance to think that theater is an option for them. And casting's really important, and I'm, I, I appreciate that we had this conversation, and I'm, we talked about playwrights, but I, I, I've been thinking a lot lately about um, all kinds of staff and directors um, and boards and how uh, casting rightfully gets a lot of conversation because I think it's something that people are more, I guess, aware of, but there are so many parts of the theater that need this active inclusion um, that because they're less visible in a frontward-facing way, maybe don't get as much attention, you know? Yeah, I think that is a really good point. There needs to be representation in all areas um, of theater, especially in leadership roles, too. And I think white people do need to do try harder 
to be conscious of people of color's experience and um, we're gonna get into this, this too, but that same goes for LGBTQ+, same goes for ableism, but at the same time, like for me, like I will only know what it is like to live as a white woman who is fully able, who is straight. So having other perspectives is, is just so important. And also there are so many qualified people who are not, you know, ju just like me, who need, who, who deserve to have their voices heard and, and deserve, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally agree, because, uh, again, taking stories from my sister, because she is a musical theater performer, uh, there's been a couple issues with uh, hair and makeup people not necessarily knowing how to prep her wig properly oh. and what shade she needs. Um, and then with costume people, because different ethnicities have different body types uh, a little bit. So figuring out how to make that work. So it's always like, we need diversity in all of those fields. Um, so everyone does feel more included and a little bit more welcomed. And there is a a little bit less of an awkwardness to it. That brings up a lot of really good points. And something it makes me think of is, um, I, I believe about a year ago, um, Danielle Brooks had the starring role in, I believe it was Much Ado About Nothing. Um, I think she played Beatrice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I saw this like really great interview with her, um, and I believe it was, like, an all-African-American cast, though I'm not uh, totally sure. And just, like, how much it meant to her to be a romantic lead. Uh, yeah. And I think, I'm not, I've heard of that production, I'm not, uh, I don't know the nuances of its approach and everything, but what it makes me think about is, I, I know Danielle Brooks from um, Orange is the New Black, which is a really wonderful show that deals directly with race, and I think has provided some very valuable has helped facilitate some very valuable conversations. But I think what's important is that artists of color are not limited to only doing sto uh, telling stories that are about race, that whether it's much ado or something or other pieces that their stories can be told that don't directly deal with race by anybody. Yeah. Um, uh, another comparison to something that's happening or that was happening recently, uh, Mean Girls on Broadway. One of the understudies for Regina George was a woman of color. And that meant nothing to anyone. They were just like, great. It's not, the show doesn't have anything to do about race. Mm -hmm. And it's just how they wanted to do it. So theater is all about storytelling. So it's, it's it, people's experiences, it's diversity of thought, it's diversity of experiences, it's diversity of backgrounds. If you just open up theater into platforms and are willing to put on stories that maybe challenge your own or make you uncomfortable or, or even just match your own because it's a story that other people in the audience need to hear, as long as it's open for everyone to equally enter in their story, if you just think, hey, diversity of thought and background and experience is acceptable on this platform, then you're going to get a little bit of everything. Right. We've, we've discussed a lot about um, 
uh, inclusivity on stage and behind the scenes, I would love to talk about um, inclusivity in audiences and making sure that uh, you have an audience that is really representative of your community and the theater is somewhere, whether that's a literal building or you're bringing theater out into the world, that the, the figurative notion of the theater is something that everyone feels that they can go to and see themselves and learn more about the world and other people. Yeah, I think in a way, not in every way, but in one of the ways theater is the most powerful is based off of the audience that it reaches. Because even if you are in the audience and the experience or the person you see doesn't directly correlate with your own experience or your own appearance, it can still inspire you to be like, I can go into theater or, oh, there's someone behind that curtain there. I kind of saw it move a little bit. I'd love to be backstage working with these people. And so I think there's value in exploring different ways and different platforms to get these stories told. And now more than ever is a really good time to start experimenting with platforms because of the traditional theater spaces being shut down. I think we mentioned in the last episode exploring outdoor theater a little bit more, which I'm very excited about because I personally think outdoor theater not only can draw a bigger audience, I think it can draw a more diverse audience. Yeah, and going back to the other point of inclusivity backstage as well uh something that i have kind of come across as a black man is me personally for props the only other person of color i've seen or the only black man that i've seen do props was one of my classmates who graduated with me and that was the only other black man i've ever seen do props so I definitely think like backstage and in production shops as well, there also has to be that diversity. Was there ever, did you ever feel like uncomfortable or like there wasn't a place for you because of that? No, it just made me feel like a little bit sad that it wasn't more. And it's... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it is the point of, People just don't know that that's something they can do. Um, so something I really want to make a point of is to be a little bit more visible and just let people know that this is an option for you to take and this is a career choice you can make and still feel like you're not alone. Well, I think that's a really great point to bring up. And, and the reason I asked, too, is that I know for myself uh, in the building world, especially like when I I feel I, I'm a very insecure person already, and I overthink things a lot, and I've always been lucky to work with amazing people who just want to get the work done and have also been really really helpful for me. But there have been situations where I do feel more comfortable if there's another woman around. Um, because sometimes if I'm screwing up, even though it's not logical, I feel like it's it's because I'm a woman, which doesn't make any sense, but it it just makes me feel more exposed whenever I, I don't understand something. Yeah, totally agree with you in that in that vibe in that sense. Yeah, because you feel like you're like representing, you know, everyone else, you know, and it's like you're just a person who like is of whatever skill level and you're you're all you're representing is yourself but sometimes mm -hmm. it feels like more yeah 
So when we look at backstage representation, I you know, so many of it uh, stems from, well, obviously it's all different technical elements like carpentry and props and artistic and sewing. These are all hard skills. So how, any recommendations or ideas of how we could reach those skills out or bring in people with those skills to bring in more diversity? What are some actual ideas and steps that could be done? That's a really good question. And I think the answer is that it's not easy. None of this is easy. I think it's really easy for us to have a conversation of what we want it to look like. But I do think you bring up a really good point that the how is really complicated too. But I would say like more than anything, it is a conscious effort that there have been systems put in place. It is, it's, it's just super complicated. And that's why we have the problems we do now. And that it takes a conscious effort rather than a um, unconscious effort. What I, going to your point of how we think we can make it better. And yes, also it being a conscious choice is like, it could also be something really simple. Like, I know it's hard in triad sense because our shop is in a different location than our theater. But if there are school trips that make that make it and see a show, it would also be beneficial, other than them just seeing the show and talking to the cast, mm-hmm. but to also get a tour of the production shop. And exactly. they would be able to see women working in carpentry. They mm-hmm. would be able to see me working in a prop shop. And... And not just school tours, but opening it up to the community. It's not uncommon to have a theater lobby open for events, but very little times is a shop open for events. Yeah, um, The Lost Colony is an outdoor theater in North Carolina, and almost every day before the show, they have several groups of tours that walk backstage, and they're able to see everything, and they're able to see all of us backstage, and... They're not seeing exactly what we're working on, uh, but they definitely see us and all the tour guys definitely point out, like, this is the actor's dressing room, this is the prop area, you can see Andy over there, he's our props master. Um, So it's just bringing those things to light. Um, Definitely, yes, putting it at, like, more of the forefront um, with the show. And pushing that as hard as they do. I think something that would be very helpful uh, as far as moving the theater forward in regards to inclusion would be increasing accessibility to education. I think that there is a lo- there are a lot of obstacles to obtaining the education that often leads to success in the theater industry and getting that training. And I think that if uh, training programs were more affordable and their recruitment processes were more mindful of inclusivity, then that would be, uh, in a way, getting at the root, one of the roots of the problem and expanding the, the pool of people in the industry. I think those are all really good points. As mentioned, too, there's a lot of ways that you can support people that are being underrepresented. Something I would say, too, that if you are somebody who wants to go into a field, but um, you feel like people like you are underrepresented. If, if you are in that situation, um, just to say to you too, like, you are who you are. You deserve to pursue whatever you want to pursue. You can do it. It will take a lot of hard work. 
but your race, your gender, your um, sexual identity, your it, it has nothing to do with you. Only you can bring what you can bring. So another way that we can make things better in theater is um, I found this article on Facebook from the Minnesota Playlist, and it's phrases we should work to eliminate in the rehearsal room. Um, and as I was going through it, it was a lot of phrases that I hadn't really thought about, but then reading it out loud, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not good. Um, I'll go through a couple of them. I won't go through the whole thing. You can find that article, Minnesota Playlist. Um, the first one being crack the whip or whip them into shape. Yeah, that phrase is definitely... Um, is They use it as a form of punishment for um, the African slaves that they brought over. And I don't think that's... a super encouraging or positive phrase to use in a rehearsal space where we're supposed to feel comfortable and vulnerable with the people that you're working with. Um, so I definitely agree that that's like a phrase that should be yeah. nixed. Yeah, it makes me think about how maybe if an actor was frustrated with the director, they could say, oh my gosh, so-and-so is doing that when that statement is so diminishing of that actual experience in history. Another one that is also going back to um, African-American slaves is when we talk about how hard we're working and we're saying we're slaving away, that is also something I think people could be a little bit more conscious of. Um, I've definitely said I'm slaving away. I just, I said it right now. <laughs> I won't say it anymore. That's a good point. <laughs> um, another one on the technical side is um, Hang the Blacks, and we're talking about curtains, which oh. when you think about it in those terms, you're like, oh, it makes sense. But then it is such a heavy statement. Um, I think usually what would probably more be more helpful anyway, it, that is if it, it's relevant, is to... Um, name it by the type of fabric that is because it can really depend on like how much it's covering yeah and this is these two are stemming a little bit away from necessarily black people and Afri african-american people but this is go more going towards native people of saying let's have a powwow or um being at the bottom of a totem pole um it's just like those little phrases that we don't necessarily think about that do have such weight when it comes to different um, different groups of people and what those things can mean to them. That's a really, really good point. And I think it brings up earlier mentioning about how um, increasing diversity in theater and especially making people feel more included is a conscious effort because there are things in our culture that are, you know, like 90% of the time I know like I'm running on autopilot and as we've been having more conversations too, I've been more vocal about race than I usually am and I haven't always said the right thing and I've been corrected and I try really hard in those moments to just be like, 
oh, you're right. I was wrong. I'm going to learn from that and do better now. Uh, I agree. I think those hard conversations are vital. And I'm really excited uh, in Tri-Stages next season when we open back up. We are uh, wanting to help facilitate those challenging conversations um, through Rebellious. Rebellious is a play by uh, North Carolina playwright Mike Wiley, who I am a very big fan of. Uh, I saw um, one of his uh, shows. He's a playwright uh, and an actor. Um, I saw one of his plays, uh, One Noble Journey, A Box Marked Freedom, um, a few years ago, as well as um, Leaving Eden, um, which was done by Playmakers Repertory Company and Rhino Leap Productions. And he is going to be doing a play uh, Rebellious, which deals with the Greensboro sit-ins from 1960, uh, which were mentioned uh, several episodes ago, I believe, in our podcast. Uh, but this play is going to look at it uh, from the point of view of um, a lot of the women who were involved with the protests, uh, both behind and um, in front of the counter. And that piece is something that I hope will be a, a catalyst of dialogue in this community about um, a lot of racial issues and how uh, the past connects to our present and how we can learn um, from historical events to be better and uh, have a more fair society. That's a really exciting project. I really wish I was gonna be here for that. Um... I, I can imagine even like flying in when it happens because I'm sure it's going to be a really exciting play. And just like, because, you know, just being a kid growing up anywhere, like before I'd even heard of Greensboro as a, as a city, like two years ago, I had heard of the Woolworths. Just really quick to, I, I think when this conversation came up, it, it made me realize that I really need to um, look at more artists of color and artists of um, diverse representation. Um, one of my favorite, and of course she, she's huge, she's won two Pulitzer Prizes, is um, Lynn Nottish, from, uh, who's won a Pulitzer Prize for both Sweat and Ruined, and I really love um, Intimate Apparel. We did both Sweat and Intimate Apparel at my college. Doing those shows brought more black actors in our program to the forefront which was both exciting and also made me think why were they not before so in sweat in, in fact we um all three irene ryan nominations were black actors it was an excellent cast and you know regardless of race too but it did make me think too i think in our program, we often try, but I know that I've made mistakes. And sometimes it, it, it was a situation for me where it did make me wonder why um, a show, a particular show, had to be done in order to promote already excellent actors. So, um, yeah, and another really good playwright that I would recommend looking at the work of is Bren Jacobs Jenkins. I think he's probably the one of the most uh, upcoming playwrights of our time. So, well, he already has. This guy's got a lot of work. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, I think we've started to have a lot of good conversations that can continue and evolve to help make theater even better and even more inclusive. And I think that does wrap up our episode for today. I wanted to thank you guys for joining us for Apprentice Plus. If you want to keep up to date with everything going on at Triad Stage, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you have any questions you would like for us to answer, leave them in the comments. This is Marie Phillips signing off, but I'll be listening to future episodes, so I hope you do too. We're going to miss you, Marie. (gasps) Thanks for for sharing this year with us. Thank y'all. Seriously, I wouldn't want to do a pandemic with anybody else. (laughs) What? (laughs) Andy's face. Bye. Bye.